Welcome to the What's Your Ceiling podcast. We're your hosts, Monty Wyatt and Paul Sosinski. Wherever you are in life, there is a higher ceiling. This podcast is how you become aware of it and how to take action to push through it. I'm Monty Wyatt, best-selling author of Pulling Profits Out of a Hat and CEO of Adding Zeros Executive Development. I grew up on a family farm in Iowa and have gone from sowing corn to sowing seeds of success throughout the world, leading, managing, and training teams. With me is Paul Sosinski, entrepreneur and investor who also grew up on a family farm here in Iowa. We believe every organization and person can be intentional in how they lead, influence, and manage their lives and businesses. What's Your Ceiling is for professionals, managers, executives, entrepreneurs, and business owners who want to achieve more in their health, family, and business by breaking through their ceiling. Every episode will give you real-world, easy-to-implement solutions so that you can be more aware and take action to reach new heights. It's time to discover your ceiling. Welcome to our show today. We are excited to have another great conversation. We like to start our shows with a, a little topic to get us all thinking. And today's topic is playing the big game and playing the long game when making it big. And playing the long game, you know, Paul, I want to just ask you first, when, when you think of playing the long game, what does that mean to you? And, and then I'll share a few thoughts myself. Well, when I look at the long game, I'm thinking about when you're starting out and setting your goals, it's not a quick fix. I think you're looking to set out, whether it's your company, your health, you put a plan together, and it doesn't happen overnight, and it takes time to get there. And that's what I would call a long game is, you know, you may be one year, five years, 30 years out. You don't know what that game, but the long game is a plan to succeed at whatever level. I love that. The long game is a plan to succeed. When I think of the long game, it's starting out is, is with what's the outcome that I want? What's the outcome? If I'm going to start a business, I'm going to, the outcome is I want to sell it one day. Uh, if I am getting healthy, what's the outcome that I want? I'm going to lose X amount of weight or I'm going to be X kind of fitness, whatever it might be. So I think when I think of the long game, it's what's the outcome first that I'm after? And then what steps do I need to take to get there? But if we don't think of the long game first, absolutely, I, all I, we're doing is running in circles. We're running in circles. We're not getting where we need to get to because we don't know where we're going. Yeah. It's kind of like going on vacation. Let's just drive to the interstate. Should we go east or west? <laughs> <laughs> that could be kind of fun with a 12-pack, maybe. I, know, I normally lick my finger and put it up, you know, wherever the wind is blowing me. No, Monty, you're, you're absolutely. I think, I think um, it's, it's, when we're breaking through ceilings, and making a long game, and that's that's the process of getting there. And and like this this podcast is about health, family, and business. And the long game is: can we break through the next ceiling? And how high can we go? Because everybody's at different levels. And it goes back to I believe the, the awareness. What's your awareness? And I think the higher your awareness, we call it the awareness factor. The higher your ceiling can get. So. That's why we're here today, and I think we have the perfect guy here to help us with the long game. I couldn't ask for a better guy to be here. I, I consider him a good friend. He's probably one of the toughest human beings God ever made, which we'll talk about that soon, too. But uh, his name is Tim Nugent from Des Moines, Iowa, originally from Milwaukee. We'll talk about that later, too. Looking forward <laughs> to it. But uh, he's got a long record of experience with entrepreneurs. He was, he's involved with several different companies, been involved with uh, top 500 companies, 
uh, Ford's top 500 companies. He's uh, he's presently uh, involved with the entrepreneur at Iowa State University. Also is involved in starting Drake University uh, mentorship with businesses and teaching. Um, I know he founded and chaired the Venture Network of Iowa, which is a neat uh, uh, startup that he started, and we'll talk more about that soon. But he has several uh, awards uh, here in the Midwest. We'll talk about that and uh, maybe get the opportunity, if a lot of people don't know, but the Nugent family was part of starting the Green Bay Packers. So I want to welcome <laughs> one and only Tim Nugent. Oh, great. Thank you. It's uh, great to be here, and I'm looking forward to the conversation with you today. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. Yeah. You know, Tim, when you started out, you you know, you grew up, tell me a little bit about your family, and, and we want to talk a little bit about one of your first jobs out of college, which was with uh, the beer company and top salesman in <laughs> Wisconsin. <laughs> well, um, I'm very proud of our family. Um, my, tough, my dad was a tough guy. He uh, was one of the survivors of Point du Hoc during World War II as an airborne uh, ranger captain at a very young oh, age yeah. of 18. Uh, he was one of 99 that, or one of th 99, one of 99 of the 300 that survived Point du Hoc wow. uh, when they landed in the Normandy beaches. And uh, subsequently, he was a pretty tough guy and a um, tough-minded man. Uh, and his career ended up, uh, he ended up being president of Blue Cross Blue Shield in the Midwest. In fact, came to Des Moines, Iowa in 1972 as the president of the Iowa chapter. Put the mic just a little bit closer, maybe there. Uh, but. And, and uh, subsequently, with a, uh, my mother, uh, who's a saint, had four boys. Um, and you're Irish Catholic. We're Irish Catholic. And uh, so we grew up pretty strict Catholic, you know. Um, but that didn't, uh, I think that that's simultaneous almost, is that um, you grow a lot of character and get a little trouble when you uh, <laughs> when you grow up as an Irish Catholic. And of course, back then, uh, you know, there were a lot, a lot of kids. It was the baby boom era in the mm -hmm. 50s, and, uh, and uh, we had a lot of fun. So it was a great family, strong nucleus still today. Uh, my mother and father have passed, and, and my older brother had passed, but uh, I still have two brothers, and we're still very close to this day. Wonderful, wonderful journey through my childhood. Yeah. 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 And then you went to, I believe, uh, the University of Wisconsin? Yes. Uh, so out of high school, um, and uh, I never did very well in high school, but I, I, I really had a lot of fun, probably more fun than <laughs> I should have, and uh, well, for sure. And I remember uh, my counselor telling my dad, well, you know, I wouldn't waste any money on college uh, for Tim. I, I think <laughs> he should go into some trades or something. Uh, and so uh, my dad said, well, I'm not going to I'm not going to waste a Jesuit education on you, Tim. So my other brothers all went to Marquette. Uh, so I found my own way and ended up at the University of Wisconsin, got a business degree there. Uh, I was able to get an internship with Mercury Marine that really helped me a great deal. I mean, I went from middle C's to uh, the dean's list uh, because I was able to put together what they were trying to teach me um, in a practical manner in, in corporate life. And so Mercury was a great experience. I worked in all divisions, Quicksilver, uh, which was the accessory line, the outboard, the inboard, the advertising department, and I became a uh, 
Uh, after my internship, they liked me, I liked them. I got a number of offers in these different divisions once I graduated. Um, and I ended up being a pricing analyst, which really taught me a great deal of strategical pricing and, and uh, so forth. So that was a great experience. It really helped me relate to uh, uh, what they were trying to teach me in, in uh, college. And I also had a little stint break in, um, and went into the service, uh, the National Guard. So I was away from school for a year, and, and that helped as well. Um, mm -hmm. And I grew up a little bit during that time. What, what was the difference you said, going from C's to getting on the dean's list? I mean, what, what changed in your mind that you had to uh, move to that next level? That, that's, that's a great question, Monty. When I got married <laughs> in my junior year, that, that did help a great deal. Two, really, I mean that about the military uh, going into, uh, I went to Fort Ord in California for my basic training, my AIT, and that that makes you grow up. I mean, all your peer groups, your friends, it's the first time yeah. that I was really separated from them. And uh, so you mature quite a bit that way. So the marriage, uh, the growing up, and then I'm telling you, the internship uh, through, through the University of Wisconsin with Mercury Marine, uh, really is what it started clicking everything started clicking no it's interesting when you don't have the real world thinking yeah well i don't need to learn that yet exactly and when you got that real world experience oh i want to learn this yeah you got to get connected that, to it yeah and not only that is that that's what professor sibley was saying right mm -hmm. ah i get it you know the light bulb really truly went on you know, the theoretical didn't hit until no, you got to the no. real world. Yeah. And I'm, I'm kind of a hands-on learner, so I got to hit a wall and fall down occasionally to, Absolutely. to move forward. So. Yeah, and yeah, I think you find, and, and there's a, because there, I'm kind of like you too, Tim, is, is I think you find that uh, students that are the C students, once they find out what their interests are, they're A students. And I think well, that's what we find a lot of people. Um, once you find out what you want to do, and you take interest in it, and they take full speed. And usually the old saying is, A students work for C students. <laughs> and it might be because they were a little bit more creative, and they didn't see it yeah, when they were in I high school. And then they get out, and they see, well, this is an opportunity. And then they apply themselves. And next thing you know, it's, it's a different level of, uh, they're a whole different level. Yeah. So that was great. And then you, didn't you also Purdue University, I believe? you? Yeah, I got a, a master's at Purdue. And uh, that was with, uh, actually, I co-started a division for Pioneer Hybrid called Specialty Plant Products. And because they were all PhDs and I was just a lonely, you know, BBA or whatever it was, <laughs> the business of Bachelor of Business Administration, uh, uh, they felt I needed a little more formal education. So they sent me to Purdue, actually. Flew oh, me on their plane and uh, there were a number of us, actually, there were about uh, 15 of us that uh, went through that program and got mm -hmm. our MBAs. So I'm grateful for that as well. Now, you had a, uh, now when you, you come out of college, what was the, what was the job market at the time? I know that there was, you know, it was, that was a tough time. Uh, we were in a very serious recession. We had gas lines. This is uh, early seventies. This is 70. I graduated in December of 73. Okay. Uh, from the university of Wisconsin. And, and, um, I was the luckiest kid on campus cause we went into a serious recession we had oil, uh, gas lines, uh, we couldn't light uh, Christmas lights, uh, and everything was about saving energy. They you know, moved the speed limit down to 55 on the highways, mm -hmm. all that was going on, and uh, uh, nobody was hiring. 
But I had five different offers from Pioneer. And uh, this one particular day, it's a week before I graduated, my mentor and the person I reported to all through my internship and then after my internship as I worked in full-time in the summer and part-time as I could during the rest of my school uh, years, uh, came to me and said, Tim, I got good news and I got bad news. I said, all right. He said, well, what do you want first? And I said, well, I always like ending on a good note. Let's do the, the bad news. And he said, well, the bad news is, you know, we're owned by Brunswick Corporation. They're conservative. Uh, the first thing to go off the market are luxury goods when we have recessions and especially oil crises. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, and he says, this is a very scary time. So we put a freeze on, hi on hiring. And I said instantaneously, oh, so the good news is because I've been working, I'm in. <laughs> and he said, kind of. And I said, kind of. And he said, we'll let you work at your hourly rate, which, which was pretty meager. Uh, and uh, have you done any interviewing? I said, yeah, five interviews. Mercury Marine. <laughs> and uh, nothing, he says, nothing else? And I said, no, I, as you know, uh, you know, we talked about, you know, what, which one should I take, which would give me the greatest visibility and opportunity to advance my career. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, uh, go back. You, you got still relationships with, you got good relationships with some of your professors. Sit down with them and try to get a list put together and draft out a resume. And he said, I'll even, Mercury will pay you to go interview. I said, okay, that's, a, that's very generous. So that's what I did. And I sent out a host of resumes, Kohler Company, and, uh, Peps Blue Ribbon, and Speed Queen. And, and, and through all that, I kind of got some confidence built up because I got job offers. Speed Queen offered me, Ripping Good Cookies offered me, <laughs> Oscar Mayer Company, and I, those were not appealing to me in any way. Well, what kind I, of jobs were they that they well, were offering? Uh, Speed Queen was putting in, uh, selling um, uh, washers and dryers commercial, sure. coin operated. Uh, Oscar Mayer was basically a jobber, you know. Paul, you need six bolognese and ten salamis, I'm, I'm going to bring them in. And I didn't want to do that. You know, and... and well, there's uh, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, ripping Good would have been, that would have been more up my line. That was kind of a national sales position and uh, uh, working with uh, distributors and retailers and that kind of intrigued me. But, um, and people eat cookies and drink beer during recessions. So uh, I hey, thought, well, well it's... I want to focus on him. Yeah. And so, but at the time, uh, Pabst Blue Ribbon... Uh, which was my favorite beer. Uh, and, and in Milwaukee, the other thing in Milwaukee, especially Irish Catholic, uh, you start drinking beer at a very young age. I mean, that's just an accepted <laughs> thing. And uh, you go to the bar with your grandfather or your dad and you drank beer. Um, so Pabst was my favorite. And uh, I interviewed with them and they gave me an offer. And it was a tremendous uh, opportunity. They paid a lot of money. And I, it was a national rep. I went out and sold uh, and worked with distributors, uh, primarily around the Midwest. But uh, it was a great journey and a great experience. And I sold a lot of beer. Um, and uh, I've got some great stories there. I don't know how much in depth you want me to go, but... Uh, you got to talk a little bit about how your marketing budget, how you traveled yeah. the state, how that worked. Well, back then, you know... Um, it was all about getting draft accounts, you know, because back then they only had one or it's now they got 50 different drafts, you know, or a hundred. And uh, back then it was one or two. And so if you could knock one off and put Pabst on, that was a big thing. And most of the places in the Midwest sold uh, 
packaged goods through the cooler. We just came out with a 12 pack. 12 packs are just brand new at this time. And uh, so I went around to distributors to promote keg sales and uh, uh, 12 packs. And uh, Pabst uh, and all the breweries uh, gave you a cash as a salesperson. They said, we don't want to see this back. It's to be promotions, to promote. and uh, it was two thousand dollars a week back in nineteen seventy four, wow. early seventy four. Where the promotional dollars? Promotional cash, and uh, like I said, we don't want to see that back. We want that utilized, you know. And so uh, uh, I paid off a couple of managers to get some floor displays in retail. <laughs> I would throw in kegs of beer with the. I'd say to, to the bartender owner or the bar owners, I'd say, "Hey, I tell you what." The distributor will throw in a keg, and I always work a deal with the distributor. The brewery would uh, kick in a keg, and I'll come in and promote it that night um, so that we go at least through a keg of beer at retail. So you're right. getting a triple whammy there. And so that's what I spent a lot of cash on, uh, paying for floor displays. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might call it bribery today. I don't know. but uh, uh, Marketing items. Yes, marketing <laughs> items. And, oh, yeah, we had great. So... Yeah, but but I'll tell you the the one great story that I, I still uh, this is the week I decided that you know uh, I'm having a lot of fun doing this but I wasn't sober very much because I figured if the first shift bars were lucrative to sell to the third shift bars may be better so mm-hmm. I would do the the whole thing so I get up at five o'clock in the morning and go to where the guys get off at third shift and be promoting there <laughs> after a night of heavy drinking promoting at the, at the day shift bar. 24 hour job to, yeah. you animal and uh, so you know um, uh, this was down in Louisville Kentucky I had a distributor and the first thing I did is I trashed about uh, I'd say at least uh, seven skids of his beer because he didn't rotate it and it was skunky and oh, he was pretty upset with me and I'm going to call your sales manager. I said, call him. I mean, that's what my, part of my job is. And then this is when you got to dispose of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. They had it. They, yeah. So, uh, and yeah, I said, you know, it's uh, Pap's reputation on the line and his years as well. You need to sell, you need to rotate stock and sell fresh stuff. So anyway, that was, uh, that didn't kick off very well that first day. But then um, uh, he saw that I had some sales ability and I was getting keg sales that they, couldn't they couldn't even for years try to get and I was able to obtain some for the so I, I got back in his graces pretty quickly in that week uh, so by Wednesday I was kind of hey this kid's all right you know um, and I can remember their salesman said uh, and he drove a truck but salesman as well he says Tim don't wear a sport coat or anything tomorrow we're gonna go for a ride and we did and we went about I'd say an hour, an hour and a half south of Louisville, down in the mountain areas. Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dry County, by the way, down there. Yeah. And I'm thinking, yeah. He says, you <laughs> driver kept saying, you'll see, you see. And so we turn off on this, like, I, I think it, in Wisconsin, we call it a cow path, you know. Right. And the truck is going, rrr, rrr, rrr. It's full of, full of beer. <laughs> and so we drive, I'd say, a good hour off the off road with this big beer truck. <laughs> and he says, okay, we get out and walk now, Tim. And he says, everything's going to be okay. And I, I said, I think I'm hearing dueling banjos or something here. But uh, he said, no. He said, it's, it's, all, it's all good. So we walked. I'd say a good hour. Came back. 
there was a cash, there's an envelope full of cash and said, see you next week. <laughs> so the bootleggers in the dry counties took all the beer and paid cash. And, and, paid cash. and I said, uh, how often do you do this? He says, this is a weekly run. He says, we got two others like this. Wow. I said, and you don't rotate your beer? He says, well, you never had to. <laughs> you know, okay. They drink the skunky beer. Yeah, whatever, yeah. So, so that same week, so I had, had you ruined that. his cash business. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm working the first shift, second shift bars, not sober much during the day or night, and uh, woke up on the floor a couple times. I went and one night I said, I just can't, I can't do it. And I, I went and saw the movie The Exorcist by myself, scared the living hell out of me. And and then uh, a tornado went through um, the Downs. Uh, uh, oh, Kentucky, Kentucky, Kentucky Derby, Kentucky Derby grounds. Yeah. yeah. And I was up in a high rise uh, holiday in downtown Louisville. And I saw and he said, you know, come down. They got the messages and go in and my windows are rattling. And I see this tornado and I said, you know, I think God is trying to tell me something. <laughs> and I had uh, fortunately at the time I sent all of these other resumes. I sent one to Kohler Company in Kohler, Wisconsin. And uh, uh, I took that position to save my life. But mm -hmm. I sure enjoyed it. I mean, they offered me triple the money I was making, stay. Uh, and, and they said something that I didn't understand. They said, Tim, every order you ever wrote stuck. And I said, I, I'm sorry, I don't know what that means. Well, it's stuck. And he said, it was a real order. And I said, yeah, of course it will. I mean, well, and he said, well, a lot of guys write orders and they're, they're not real orders. <laughs> the, right. the retailer doesn't accept it, the bar or the store or whatever. I said, and, and I was like, I was so naive. I, I said, really? I, I can't even imagine doing that. So that, that is cool. You know, that, that's what you call an awareness. That's an awareness <laughs> factor right there. Um, knowing yourself, knowing the fact that, you know what? I'm drinking every day. Maybe my life could go the other direction. I'm, I'm at a high in my life, yeah. and I need to go through this ceiling to another route to get Absolutely. better. Absolutely. And what a great, great story. And uh, so you went from there to Kohler, and then you ended up in Des Moines, Iowa. And that's yeah. a great story, oh, too. Be before you go yeah. there, were you the national sales leader for Pabst Blue Ribbon? That At would that just time. be kind of fun. At that yeah. time. And it was a short period. I, I sold a hell of a lot of beer. <laughs> I guess so. 1973, the PBR salesman the PBR, of the year. Yeah. Right here on yeah. our show. I love there that. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, we, you know, we're talking about uh, ceilings and things like that. Uh, with Kohler Company, I, I really had two really wonderful opportunities. I worked for Kohler for almost 10 years. Uh, and uh, um, first, I was an area manager for them. I covered Halifax, Nova Scotia, down to Virginia. As far west as uh, Montreal and Canada. And then if you kind of draw a line, Lancaster down to Richmond, Virginia. And uh, it was a great job. Uh, and maybe the best job I ever had in my life while working for someone else, because my boss, who got ill, uh, was in Kohler, Wisconsin to begin with, and, and he was vacant, and I ran my own territory, and a young person driving a Cougar XR7 silver bullet with a 400 cubic inch engine, thinking I was really somebody, you know. Uh -huh. But I sure learned a lot. I had a lot of distributors uh, and, and OEMs, original equipment manufacturers that I called on. Again, another great journey and learning experience. Uh, in fact, uh, I had a distributor in Philadelphia, a uh, guy by the name of Ned, Ned Doubleday. Now, you know, Paul, who the founder of baseball is. Doubleday. Doubleday. It was his grandfather. Oh, wow. That founded baseball. 
And so I go visit old Ned, and uh, he, we talk baseball, which is one of my favorite sports. And uh, the funny story about this, uh, Kohler then offered me a position back home uh, uh, in Wisconsin. Uh, and I can remember going into Ned and saying, Ned, I got some good news and bad news. And he said, okay. He said, well, the good news is Kohler offered me a hell of a position to go back to my home state of Wisconsin. He says, you can't, you don't do it. And, you know, the, the people of the East Coast, and I love them dearly. I mean, I covered Boston, New York. I covered all these uh, places that uh, uh, as a young person, you know, everybody said, oh, you're going to get your lunch eaten, you know, and all this time. Mm -hmm. And I found it just the opposite. They were wonderful to work with. I always knew where I was. They were candid. They were direct which is what I am. I'm built that way. And, uh, you know, I can handle anything, but I can't yeah. fight ghosts. So uh, having objections and things out on the table was really, it really played to my strengths. Anyway, so Ned, uh, Ned, uh, Ned says, uh, oh, I was, where I was going with that is that uh, uh, as smart as they think they are and as well-read and, and, and a lot of them are well-read and so forth, I don't take any of that, but they've never really traveled. Their picture west is just maybe the hudson river or the delaware right. and right. Uh, ned has i don't think ever been west of philadelphia and he he's saying to me tim I, and he loved diane as well my wife and it said i don't want you going back there and at that time the indians uh, tribe in wisconsin uh chippewa i think uh took over a monastery as a protest and uh, at the same time they were spear spearing fish as a protest and uh, to some extent, leaving them uneaten, and it was getting everybody in, uh, upset that they would be doing such a thing. Uh, and he said, you know, Tim, if you and Diane go out there, I, I really worry that your house is going to go up fire and from flaming arrows and all. And he, he was dead serious. <laughs> dead, I mean, the guy was dead serious. He didn't want us to go. He thought, he says, your, your lives are going to be in jeopardy. And I said, no, Ned, it's not like the Wild West like you're thinking, you know. This is, these are just protests, you know. Uh, and there could have been better ways to protest. But, so, so and, and, you know, we talk about the long, the long look and things like that. Uh, the one thing Kohler also taught me, uh, it was a phenomenal company. It was so good to me, and, and I really learned, and I really loved the company, um, is they did 50-year plans. Unheard of. And I, I remember laughing the first time. 50-year plan? 50-year plan. Wow. So when I was there in the 70s, the golf courses there, Black River, uh, Black River and, and uh, the Irish course, and the, that, that was all in the 50-year plan, and it happened. Uh, the American Club, which was built in uh, 1901, I think, and it was to bring over largely immigrants from the uh, Baltic area where they were tradesmen, you know, iron workers and craftsmen and he would bring them over and they couldn't afford to bring their families so he built this uh, American club where they lived until they could afford to buy a home in his village the Kohler village uh, and uh, uh, what he did with that is a couple of things Kohler had the longest strike in American history in the 50s and uh, and Mr. Kohler I give him a lot of credit for this he said you know it's an open shop baby I own it it's an open shop um, and uh, if you want to belong to a union, that's fine, and you're qualified, come work for me. If you don't want to belong to a union and you're qualified, you're as welcome as, as he is. And 
Well, the UAW didn't like that. <laughs> and they brought in the thugs from Detroit. Mm-hmm. Acid baths, brother against brother, cousin against cousin. He used the American Club, built a tunnel underneath it so the scabs could go and work in the plant while this eight-year strike went on. Wow. And uh, then it now is a five-star hotel, the American Club. And uh, that was all, that, that five-star hotel was all part of the 50-year plan. Uh, wow. So, and a hunt club and a lot of other things, but uh, in terms of product as well, product, product development. Um, so that really gave me the first long look I had. And then down the road, I ended up, uh, like I said, starting a division with Pioneer, and their whole mission statement was the long look. Uh, because it takes it takes about 20 years to really uh, commercialize a hybrid. So uh, really, uh, the journey I've been on is one that has been a, not only wonderful and joyous, uh, it really has been a tremendous learning. I've looked at it at so many different angles. But I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur uh, from a little kid. And independence drove that. I wanted to be independent. I want to be holding anybody. I can make my own way. And just like when my dad says, I'm not going to waste uh, education, <laughs> Jesuit education. I, I did it my own way. I paid my own way. And, and uh, that's just the way I was. And, and, and I think my parents recognized that you got to let this guy do his thing. And uh, I'm grateful for that. And now, what were you? What lineup were you? At number one, two, or three, or four? I was the second. Second. Yeah. So I had a perfect child ahead of me. My brother, mm-hmm. you know, straight A student in high school, and like Angelico, you know. <laughs> and then my <laughs> second, my brother, uh, who you know, Jerry, yeah. brilliant, uh, yeah. uh, photographic memory. The guy is just uh, off the charts bright. And so. All I could do is get in trouble to get my, <laughs> my you know, I couldn't, Attention. I couldn't top them, right, you know, <laughs> academically. So uh, yeah. we went in different directions. But uh, <laughs> actually, for me, it was the best thing that could have happened. And I, I tell you what, paying your own way, as we all know, sure makes a difference. It does. Absolutely. You know, I wasn't going to miss a class. Yeah. You know, this is my nickel. Yeah. And it, it makes a big, big difference. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, yeah, so it's been a terrific, terrific ride. And like I say, I've, I've always been an entrepreneur. I always did things that uh, had my own companies and landscaping. And, and, and that's what led you to Des Moines, Iowa. Well, Des Moines, actually, yes, you're, 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 uh, the entrepreneur drive. is that, uh, um, again, kind of the, the long look uh, is I always felt I wanted to work for companies and get this experience that I told you about Pabst yeah. and, and, and Kohler. And uh, it was time that I, and I had an opportunity in Des Moines to run a company. And uh, at that time, a book was written in 1977 called Service America. It talked about the future jobs and opportunities and entrepreneurialism is going to be in the service industries. And, you know, that was before all these home care, lawn cares and window cleaning services and all these services that we, we take for granted today. They weren't around back in the 70s. Right. And so this book was very visionary, and, 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 it, and it talked to me. And the name of the book was? Service America. Service America. I bought like 10 books. I may still have a few. You should... <laughs> Who's the author? I can't remember. But yeah, I'd love to read that book. Yeah. Uh, but it was an eye-opener, and uh, the guy saw the future clearly. And it was quite amazing, actually. So I had an opportunity to run a service company uh, down here in Des Moines. And uh, what made that 
transition, as much as I love Kohler, I mean, that was hard. That was the hardest thing I probably ever did is leaving Kohler. But, um, but my entrepreneurial spirit was calling me. And uh, fortunately, Herb Kohler, real, he was an entrepreneur. He, he realized that drive. I mean, I had a long talk with him and, uh, before I left. And he says, you got to go chase your dream, man. Or you regret it. And, you so know, I, I'd love to hear how you've passed some of this knowledge on. You know, you're doing, you've done stuff at Iowa State and Drake. I, I want to hear uh, how you've passed some of this knowledge on to other entrepreneurs. Well, you, coming to Des Moines was the transition, I think, and that's where you're going. I think. Yeah, let, yeah let me, I'll complete that story. That's it's a great question, Monty, and I want to I want to come back to that. It's a great question, and also give me a time to reflect on that question for a second. So, uh, yeah, I had an opportunity. My brother was living here. He went to Drake Law School, was working for a law firm at the point. My, parent, my dad and mom were here because he was president of Blue Cross Blue Shield, although when I moved here, our, our, our moving vans literally passed each other on Highway 8. <laughs> he went back to Wisconsin, retired. I came to Des Moines. Uh, so uh, I did run uh, this company. I didn't realize that it was running severe red ink, um, and had I known that, I probably wouldn't have came, which would have been a real mistake. Um, and that uh, allowed me to do a, my first turnaround. And it also allowed me to create, I think, three or four businesses from scratch. And so by the time I left eight years later, I was extremely confident that I could do this and do it well and made a lot of relationships. I got very involved with the community of Des Moines, very active. I knew a lot of the uh, leaders in Des Moines and had a lot of connectivity that was developed in those eight years to uh, pivot and be able to, to do uh, uh, my business and grow my businesses. And so that's what, uh, I had a one year no compete and that was very scary. Um, uh, even though this person that uh, brought me to Des Moines, promised me equity, and I was young and naive, and I didn't get it in writing. Uh, and he welched on that uh, equity position. Uh, I had a one year no compete, and even though he was an honorable, I was gonna honor that one year, and I did. And that took me on a whole different journey, and that took me, I, I did a uh, uh, consulting project for Hubble Realty, mm -hmm. I did a, uh, consulting project for Don Lombardi, founder of Casey's, an yep. auto frame straightening machine that Great his guy. buddy had. And um, and I ended up at uh, Tom Irvin, who's the CEO, was kind of a mentor of mine that I met in the community, who I admired tremendously. And I went and talked to Tom, and Tom said, what are you doing? I said, I'm working, doing this deal with Casey's and Hubble, and I got a one year no compete, one year no compete. I'm putting my business together and lining up. I'm trying to get some letters of intent so I can get an operating line of credit at the bank and so forth. And, uh, but in a year, I'm gonna launch. And uh, he said, well, if you got time now, why don't you come on board? You're, we, we'd like your marketing expertise in terms of branding. And what he was talking about is a vertical integrated business, moving things from contract to the food table, identifying and working it backwards, identifying what it is that we should, that people, consuming uh, that are healthy so linoleic uh, oils and things like that um, and 
uh, grains for everything from Fritos to, you know, so forth and so on. Anyway, through that, uh, being somewhat of an entrepreneur, I uh, created a uh, thing called Better Life, grains grown without chemical pesticides. Not an organic claim. It was, uh, I positioned it as, as environmentally friendly. Uh, because organic was still, this is the early 90s, it was still kind of a hippie, negative, can't taste good, can't look good. You know, yields are crappy. Uh, so uh, we positioned it that way. We went out and did, uh, I went out and called on customers. I ended up with uh, Jolly Time, America's Best Popcorn. I ended up with uh, a dog food with Purina Chow called Nature's Choice. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, that led me to Japan. And I was, <laughs> you know, you, know you, you can't make this stuff up and you can't write the plan. Uh, I ended up in Japan because I had this idea. Actually, I got half schnockered with a Japanese, and he said, you know, farmers are dumb. And I go, farmers, we're the leading agricultural people in the world. And he says, no, he says, you, you grow, and then you don't know where it goes. It's commodity. You don't know, you don't understand value. So he could hardly speak English, or, and, I, and I could speak Scotia Japanese, right? So uh, that's when the bulb came on, I said, I'm going to go better. And it was a, like a good housekeeping seal. It's really cool um, that we drew up as a graphic. And, and uh, we did better life soybeans for their traditional foods, natto, to tofu, miso. And I find myself over in Japan selling to tofu houses, drawing yen on boards and make, cutting deals. And I was selling, you know, like this with your, farm, <laughs> with your family's farming background, I was selling soybeans. In 1993, for $80 a bushel. As a commodity broker? Not as a commodity, as an added value. Mm -hmm. Oh, added value, okay. They love the better life. They love the positioning. Better life in J uh, Japanese language, very sing-songy word. And it took off like crazy. Instead of 10 or $11, you're selling it for 80 Yeah. And... Uh, that there was additional costs. Now, the cost of goods sold were, were considerably higher because what we did is we paid a premium to the contractor. The yields were lower. Uh, so we made up for that plus a premium. Uh, we had to, we, we stored the beans in, uh, in, uh, uh, having a little break here, um, silos that were oxygen depleted. Oh, sure. So no critters could go in there. So we did oxygen depletion. We wrapped the side of the storage bins and took all, sucked all the air out. I, well, actually, we pumped nitrogen in. And, uh, now, did you do that over in Japan or here? Here. Okay. And then we cleaned them in our, fact, in our plants. And the sizing's a big thing for them. So you get a, you want them as uniform as possible. And if it was up to the Japanese, you'd, have, you'd polish each one of those little beans. They're very meticulous. Uh, and uh, then we put them in bags, a better life, and uh, shipped them over. But I did all the selling over in Japan. I hardly speak in any Japanese. And my, my middleman, the guy that, I, uh, that gave me the idea to begin with, uh, was kind of my middleman over there. He didn't speak much English. So, so how'd you build rapport with them if you didn't speak Japanese? Uh, Drank a lot of beer. I did do that. <laughs> Hot sake. Uh, you know, it's amazing what you can do with physical uh, chemistry. Right. And, you know, I can dry in and, 
uh, Hayachi, his name is Tamihira Hayachi, he, he, uh, he could understand enough to, and understood where I was coming from that could talk to the distributors that I was talking to that ended up selling the beans to the, really the tofu makers and so forth. Uh, so it was, it was interesting, I will say that. You know, I, I just want to jump in here because I think it's uh, interesting in today's world, you know, post-COVID, mm -hmm. that people want to work from home, people don't want to travel. This is what we're missing out on right here. It's relationships. It's, it's everything is relationships. It is. It is. Whether it's across the world to Japan or it's across the street to a neighbor. Right. I, I think we're missing oh, out. no question. When you're not asking your people to interact with each other. No They're not as committed to the company when they don't interact and get right. to know others. Right. And we don't build deep enough relationships mm -hmm. if we're not spending the face-to-face -face time with others. So I'm glad you shared yeah. that. Well, I want to share this other thing too, because this is, this, uh, you know, it's not, I'm not this bright, but I am pretty lucky. And so when, when uh, towards, I was almost ready to launch my, my first service business, which was uh, commercial cleaning. Uh, and Tom Urban came to me and said, Tim, the board has spoken. They want to make you an employee. I said, why would you want to ruin a good thing like we got going? This engagement stuff is great. And Tom, I'm, I'm a couple of weeks away from launching. I got the bank in line. I got three customers lined up. I had the equitable building and several, That's pretty cool. several, several buildings downtown. And uh, uh, Main one. he said, well, Tim, you're not going to sell your way out of this one. He said, you're... The board loves what you're doing. I love what you're doing, but you got to be an employee. And I said, well, Tom, I'm going to do this business and I, I'm not going to my grave saying, what if or should I have? You know, I don't want to do that. He says, I understand. He says, what if we would agree that you can start that business and still come on as an employee of the company? I said, you do that? He says, yes. And I was just, you know, I was just 30 years old or something, and and I, I don't, again, it wasn't that I was cocky. It's just I, I, I had the gumption to ask him, mm -hmm. could I call on Pioneer's business? And he says, I think so. So here I end up becoming a director level Pioneer hybrid, and the building, the the bathroom fixtures I'm using were cleaned by my people the night before. <laughs> Uh, I started a security company. The security guard at the front door desk was my security person, called Boss Security, B-O-S-S. -S. And the vending machines, which is another business I started. <laughs> so when I went to get the Butterfinger, it was my machine. <laughs> so that's called vertical integration. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, that's a serial entrepreneur. Yeah. So uh, that company grew and grew, and uh, we grew that to about 400 employees that the commercial cleaning we cleaned about 30 million square feet a night and five nights a week typically and uh, I ended up selling that to a fortune 500 company out of uh, San Francisco in mm -hmm. 99 so it's been a I'm, I'm coming to answer your question but You're I want great I, wanna, I love the stories I want I wanted to get some of this out so that it, it it's more meaningful uh, so Again, it's not that I'm the brightest bulb on the tree. I, I'm persistent. I'm hardworking. Uh, I happen to be a pretty good salesperson. But I love people and I love those relationships that you mentioned mm -hmm. just a couple of minutes ago. And, and that's what makes it work. And that's what makes it joyful. 
And I always had the motto that I never worried about the money because if you work hard and you have joy at what you're doing and happiness, it'll all come. And it did. And I'm forever grateful. So fast forward to your question now, uh, Monty, and that is um, I'm at a point in my life where I need to give back. God has been so gracious to me, so good to me. I've had, I can't, when I uh, became ill and thought I was dying, uh, I remember saying to God, you know, you owe me nothing. I mean, if you gave me 10 more lives, it wouldn't equal the one I had. And the joy and the joyful ride that I've had and the experiences and the people I've met and the ventures I've been on, I've been just phenomenal. I mean, Tim, you want to tell our audience that what kind of what kind of cancer you had? And it, yeah. What happened? Uh, uh, I had a miracle happen. Uh, I was diagnosed with four-stage pancreatic cancer and given two months to live back in 19 or 2019. And in 2020, my oncologist came in and said, uh, I can't find a tumor anywhere on your body and I can't explain it. And I said, uh, well, I can. I have people storming heaven all over the world for me. And it's the power of prayer. Now I, gotta, now I got what my worry is, how do I pay back? <laughs> uh, how do I pay back for a second chance at this magnificent life? Mm -hmm. um, and... The answer came, and I was already doing some of it because I was already involved at Iowa State University Startup Factory, uh, teaching and mentoring entrepreneurs, which has been really a joy. Uh, and uh, subsequently in 2020, I uh, took on the similar role at Drake University as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing both uh, Drake and uh, uh, Iowa State University. And I really do feel that... Uh, I am paying back and, and helping people uh, hone their vision, help direct them. And some of it, uh, some of their ideas when they come out with a hypothesis or a, a, a vision, it doesn't end up to be a real market opportunity. Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, so you, and there's a lot of pivots along the way. <laughs> One story I love telling you, I just got to tell this story. There's a young man. And, and the one thing I'm religious about I mean, when I preach to these young, younger people, they're not all that much, uh, younger. Some are uh, really been out of school for a while. And uh, there's very few undergrads that we, although I do have an undergrad class at Drake, but uh, at IOSU, there's, I think, the one undergrad that we've had and most of them have been out in the real world and come back and said, I, I want to learn business or have a PhD and I, need, I know nothing about business and I've got this idea I want to foster into a business. Um, but this one young man, bright guy, uh, his name is Andrew. And Andrew, uh, gra engineer, graduate engineer from Iowa State University, uh, developed an app. And the app was uh, to manage large construction sites from your home office. And it was robust. It was really, and he had, he had it beyond a uh, minimum viable product. He had it, this app working. Spent lots of time, and I would preach, uh, and still preach. You got to do customer investigation. You got to see if there's a market, if there's a, if who's out there. You got to understand who your competitive is, competitors are, and you can't tell me there's no competitors because there's competitors in everything. Uh, 
And they may, you may have points of differentiation and uh, value-addedness, but the fact is you will have competitors. How are they pricing? Who are they selling to? And so forth. And I preached this, especially this Andrew, because he wasn't doing anything. He's spending all his time. Hell, he was selling uh, plasma to eat, to eat meals and living in a barn helping out <laughs> some farmer, uh, you know, with the chores uh, around there just to survive while he's building this thing. And I kept saying, Andrew, you got to go out, go out and find out. So he's now got this active. He spent I don't know how much time and money putting this thing together. And I've got a number of contacts in this construction world. So I took them to the likes of White's, Hubble Realty, App Properties, Ball Team, these various construction companies. Everyone said the same thing. Beautiful. This is this is cool. Really well done. But we got one very similar to that that we're used to using, <laughs> and uh, it's very functional and does everything that yours does, essentially. That's what mm -hmm. he, he had no market. He spent mm -hmm. all of his time. So this guy, true entrepreneur, his, one of his relatives, I think his mother or grandmother or aunt, uh, almost died from a urinary infection in an assisted living home. And uh, he looked into that, and he found out that the caretakers don't always do what's on the list to do. Even if they go in the room, a lot of times they don't go in the room, so forth and so on. So he built, and is today being quite successful with a smart toilet seat. Hmm. So here, you talk about a pivot. Here's a guy that went from a construction, managing construction sites, you know, making sure the supervisor are there, the concrete guys are there when they're supposed okay. to be there, to a toilet seat <laughs> that measured all the fluids, uh, it measured uh, uh, the, the urine in terms of uh, infections, uh, uh, the bowel movement in terms of infections. Uh, I forget, there's a number of things it did. Wow. And then uh, we hooked them up, you know, uh, with, uh, it used to be a White's company, I can't think of the name, they got 300 assisted living homes. And one of their senior guys left to join his company and our marketing, they've got a number of assisted living homes that they're in today. And wow. Now they've even developed now an app where uh, instead of having all the stuff written that, okay, I gotta go to Paul's room and I gotta check this, this, and this, and half of them they do, half of them they don't. Now it's all on an app that they have to follow. And that, that's all That's all in the toilet seat? They get all those? No, no, he, that's a separate app. He, yeah, they, I know that's, that's a separate app. business involved. Yeah. Toilet seat does all these measurements of your bodily fluids. What a brilliant, brilliant. You know, I, I think the, the critical thing I want to pull out of that is you have to find your opportunity in the marketplace. Yeah. You can have a great product, right. but if you don't have an opportunity to fill in the marketplace, it's not going to go anywhere. Absolutely. And you know what? That gets back. I, I had the opportunity, Monty, to, to, he invited me a couple times to the Iowa State Entrepreneurial Class. And, and when I went up there, it was amazing. And uh, we have they have people that pitches pitch their business. Yep. Um, and Tim's the lead consultant up there, helping them to give a good pitch, tell them if their company's good or bad. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there, and on the way back, I looked at Tim and I said, Tim, if I was 20 years old, and I sat in that class and learned what you're teaching, that would have accelerated my my business entrepreneurial probably by 20 years. Yeah. It's an amazing, and I don't know if you want to tell our audience about the Iowa State and if they want to contact and 
involvement, or if you're a company that's got money that would like to get involved, you might want to tell. Yeah, tell them uh, I'd be, be glad to. Um, Iowa Startup Switch Factory, which is um, through the Papa John Center of the Iowa State University, and it's in their research park. Uh, uh, you can get them, I think it's www.isustartupfactory.com. And uh, if you have an inkling that you'd like to start a business, this is the way to go. And I agree with you, Paul. You know, when, when, when Paul and I started uh, cutting our teeth, uh, uh, you could hardly spell the word entrepreneur, number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and venture capital was, uh, nobody knew what that was. Uh, and uh, so it's evolved today where there's so much available investors you know, the state of Iowa just put in 96, or the feds put in $96 million towards uh, small business and entrepreneurialism. In fact, there's three $100,000 pitch contests coming up uh, out of this money. And that's a pretty nice uh, little seed money to get things started. Is. So, uh, yeah, Iowa start, uh, Startup Factory is one. And, and uh, uh, if you're local here and don't want to go to Ames, uh, Drake University's got a terrific program. We've got an accelerator program. Most of these people, a lot of them already have started their business. They're just fledgling and, and trying to uh, uh, grow their business and looking for um, ways to do that. And others are starting businesses. And then we also teach a one-on-one uh, undergrad entrepreneur class, which I've been really kind of impressed with. I, mm-hmm. I at first was having my doubts whether I wanted to even put my toe in that water. But as it turns out, these young people, they listen, they do the work, mm-hmm. uh, they're... Uh, they're bright. They've got some ter- tremendous ideas. I mean, there's some tremendous ideas that evolved out of these young, young bucks, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and women that uh, have attended this class. So, yeah, um, Iowa State University or Drake, uh, both excellent programs. They were modeled after MIT, uh, the best of the best, Stanford, MIT, University of Michigan, uh, and several others. And... Uh, guy by the bill, bill, name of Bill Adamowski founded both Startup Factory and got the ground laid for uh, Drake University. In fact, he just brought in a half a million dollars from Wells Fargo uh, for this program at Drake. Oh, that's fantastic. The sources we have today are unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, if you're out there and you're, you got to want to start your business, it's, it's, you got everything you need right there. Right. I, I want to ask one more question to go a little deeper there. Sure. A lot of uh, what you just shared was around product focus. You got an app for this. You got the toilets. You know, there, there is a difference between launching a product and running a business. Absolutely positive. Because you can have a great product, but you need to have a structure or organization to support that. And so oftentimes people are building up a product and they sell the product to somebody else that can manufacture it and can do it. But an entrepreneur in that sense is... They have the great idea, but they may not be the one running the company because that's right. They built the idea. They know how to do it right, but it's yeah. not about running a company. Yeah, you got to leave your ego at the door, and you got to know what your strengths are and where your weaknesses are, and you need to surround yourself. We we talk a lot about that, and we say you know you know you don't need to start with a formal board or uh, even hiring employees necessarily right. as you're getting out of the gate. An advisory committee is a way to go. You know, bring on some marketing expertise. Bring on the legal expertise, the financial expertise, you know. You don't need to hire an accountant. You can subcontract that accountant, mm-hmm. you know. We go through all those things and really identifying who you are and what your strengths are. And, and with the PhDs, it's probably a little easier because they're basically science. You know, I'm working with one now that I may be thinking about putting some uh, more additional uh, 
energy <laughs> in that one. She's got a she's a uh, PhD in uh, fashion design. But what intrigues me, and she's teaching at Iowa State fashion design, but she's been in the real world. She's uh, designed clothing for Tommy Hilfiger, uh, Calvin Klein, some oh, of the big, wow. got a lot of connections. And she uh, also has got her ego checked where she says, I don't know anything about accounting and finance. I've got to bring on marketing people. What's the way to go? Should I license this product and take it out with that? And I said, you know, we go through things like, well, do you want to start a factory? Do you want to hire a sales team? Do you want to hire administrative people and go through all that? That's certainly, uh, you know, uh, One available. And I said, uh, I had a licensing business uh, for a number of years. I know licensing very well products. I, was, I had license with John Deere and Harley Davidson and uh, Number Polaris and Yamaha, all the car companies, selling anywhere from bar tables to glass and what they would do is sell to their mm-hmm. customers. But uh, so I said, I know a lot about licensing. It could be a licensing play and, and right. you can clip coupons and have an annuity type thing, you know. <laughs> uh, so uh, with her, she's, she knows that her strength is fashion design. And I said, what is it, your number one passion? What do you want to do? And she says, I want to teach. But I also want to uh, do this business. Is, is she, does she work for the university, Iowa State University? Yes. Okay. Yeah, she she's, there, yeah so. she's a professor there. Uh-huh. And she's got, you know, the beautiful thing is what she's doing is kind of a specialty market is a more comfortable, better fabric, um, breathable fabric, uh, mm-hmm. maternity bras and feeding bras that are very uncomfortable evidently and, uh, and style as well as colors as, you know, you get them in white and vanilla white and, uh, uh, and they're very uncomfortable. So she's got, uh, three patents pennings now on, on the designs oh. of these. So. It's, it's delightful to see the growth. I mean, that, that gives me, you know, as much energy as I'm putting into this, I'm getting more joy out of it than, than my energy that I'm putting in, by far, by oh, far. That's wonderful. I love it. Yeah, that is. That's wonderful. And, uh, and you know, uh, so you've been in the business for a long time. You're part of Des Moines and been leadership. Now, talk a little bit. We talked a little bit about your uh, the network, the founding uh, and chaired the Venture Network of Iowa. Tell us a little bit about that. I know that's a big, yeah, that was back, a big thing you led for years. Yeah, I did. Um, back in, uh, I'm going to say the mid 80s, maybe it's 83, 84, uh, I was the chairperson for, uh, volunteer chairperson for the Small Business Committee of the Greater Des Moines, now Greater Des Moines Partnership, it was the Chamber of Commerce back then. And, uh, the, the struggle Des Moines was having is uh, startup businesses. There just weren't many. And how do we keep our youths that are coming out of Drake and Grinnell and uh, Iowa State University and even the University of Iowa? Our kids would go from Des Moines to the University of Iowa and then they'd go on somewhere else. How do we bring these people back to Des Moines? That's what was going on back then. And uh, so the, ch- the, the challenge that I threw out to my committee was, you know, we really need to create an atmosphere for entrepreneurs. And like I say, at that time, that wasn't a word that was used a lot, entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, in fact, it took me a while to s- learn how to spell that word. You know? <laughs> uh, I still can't spell it. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, we came, uh, I came up with this idea and, you know, Paul, like you, you know, you're a promoter. So I'm thinking tuxedos, 
really going to do this. Uh, we're going to do it at Wakanda Country Club. We're going to really have it dressed up. We're going to have uh, investors come in, and we're going to have people just pitch. And uh, that's what we did. And uh, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, it was freelance. It wasn't there. It wasn't a script that you need to follow. You know, <laughs> yeah. you got to have an opening page. You got to identify the problem and then the solution and the, the why nows and all this. It was do your Paul dance, right? And we'll, we'll watch you dance. And back then, honestly, if you could fog a mirror, <laughs> and if you could, uh, and if we liked you, we invested in you. And we had a, we put together. I had a venture group about. 15 people that did pretty well through their lives and had a little play money, and that's really what it was. So we were basically an angel uh, group right. and uh, had a lot of fun with it, didn't make a lot of money, except for we did very well with um, Newlink Genetics, which was, they were convinced they had a cure for cancer. They got through two uh, clinical trials, but the third one they didn't do so well. But we, they went public and we all cashed in on that pretty well. Yeah. And in fact, my wife, on the side note, there, my wife said, "Oh man, this is great, you know, Tim, you know, because it was a, it was a pretty good hit." And I said, "Well, you know, Diane, with all the investments we've made, maybe I'm break even right now." <laughs> you know? So, so we got a lot more sophisticated. But uh, we started Venture Network of Iowa, and it really was pretty successful. But I, the word Iowa was important to me because I always felt it should be a statewide initiative, not a, just a Des Moines initiative. Mm -hmm. And we moved that on to the economic development for the state of Iowa, where it still exists today, VentureNet Iowa. Right. Um, um, Adrian uh, Greenfield uh, runs that today. It used to be John LaMarche, and I don't know if you knew Jim, Jim Goodman, who yeah. passed away. Jim, uh, I handed it to Jim, actually. Jim was on my committee, and Jim says, I'll take this. And I'll contract with the state, and for a while, that's what they did. They did it outside. Economic development paid him to, and then we got we got pretty sophisticated through that process, and, and on to where today you go and you can get a twenty-five thousand dollar filling out an application. You got to go into a Shark Tank, but that's a funnel in. Their first money is twenty-five thousand seed money, and it really is to get you going down the road to get a to, to make sure there's a solid market. Mm -hmm. and uh, that, you, that at least the starts of a minimum viable product and those kind of things. And that, that all the way up to $300,000 and more as, as you go down the continuum of product development in your company or service developing your business. So there is a lot of, there's actually a lot of things out there for entrepreneurs today to oh. get involved with and uh, between Drake, ISU, the, you know, the, uh, Venture Network Iowa. of Iowa. What what a wonderful thing to have today. Yeah. So if you want to get out there and hustle, you got an opportunity today. Oh, yeah. It's the best than ever, I think. What do you think, Monty? I, I, we didn't have this opportunity no. when we come out of college. There's there's more insight and knowledge out there than ever, and it's it's part of the awareness that we keep talking about. It's people need to recognize where their strengths are, as you said, and where should I be bringing in other resources? Because you can't mm -hmm. do it all yourself. It's just not possible. There's right. too much insight. And and I, I just love some of the takeaways I'm gathering today. I have too. This and, has been wonderful. And I, we really appreciate your time. But, and I know you're, you're always on a schedule. This guy works eight to 10 hours a day between <laughs> two universities, an amazing guy. But in closing, Thank I just want to talk about one thing. Your grandfather was part of starting the Green Bay Packers. Could you yeah. tell, enlighten us just a little bit on that? Yeah, you know, um, my grandfather was quite an entrepreneur. Unfortunately, I never got to know him. He died at a 
pretty young age. But uh, back in the day, in the 20s <clears throat> and before, uh, he owned a brewery called Rawr's Brewery. And uh, he owned Acme Packing. Um, the Packers' first name, by the way, was Ac Ac the Acme Packers. Um, that's where the word Packers comes from. Um, and he was one of the founding fathers. And, um, uh, you know, it's really kind of an interesting, um, interesting constitution they have that if uh, everything else fails, it goes to the uh, local Legion Hall, the ownership of the Packers. Oh. Goes to the local Legion Hall. <laughs> so it'll never leave Green Bay. That was the point. Right. You know, because it was, you know, even today it's it's uh, oxymoron. You got 100,000 people, maybe a little better than that now, in Green Bay. Yeah. Competing with the likes of Chicago and L.A. and New York. Millions. You know, yeah. millions of people. So uh, they really did it well. And my aunt, uh, when, when we lived on the East Coast, my, my godmother, uh, which was my dad's sister, uh, lived in Wilmington, about 20 miles, and would always have us down for Sunday brunch. And she would give me some of these old Packers stories, you know. Yeah. And she said, uh, there's a guy... Johnny Blood, he's a Hall of Famer yep, yep. for the Packers. She said, you know, he would put his elbow up on the fireplace mantle, and she said, I would just sit there and drool. You know, and then Don Hudson would come over, another Hall of Famer, and she said, I'd just sit there and drool. <laughs> so my grandfather had all these old uh, Hall of Famers, you know, at the house, and uh, yeah. uh, his two daughters just loved it, you know. It was uh, Absolutely. awesome. So, yeah. Um, and it's an interesting story. Um, being an Irishman um, uh, <laughs> uh, and brewing beer, um, the prohibition said it, and uh, and then the depression hit as well. But you know that uh, prohibition was what 10, 11, 12 years, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and so my f grandfather decided that you know. If it's good one day, it should be good the next day of this career, you know. <laughs> and they got him like they got all the people back then that uh, didn't necessarily follow the prohibition laws, that uh, they got him on tax evasion. Oh. And I've got an article at home, which I, I just I just think this has got a lot of color to it. And I can, I, I can picture this happening. He's in front of the judge and says, you know, citizen of the year, one day, uh, Community guy, founding father uh, with the Packers, and now you're gonna you're talking about putting me in jail for tax evasion. She says that's right. You're brewing beer and you didn't pay taxes. He says, listen, I was just brewing some beer for some friends and some for some Italian friends in Chicago. I don't see the big harm in that. <laughs> <laughs> so he did serve some time, and unfortunately, uh, they went. They went the opposite way of the American dream. They went from great wealth, I mean, servants, the whole deal, to basically almost poverty. I mean, wow. my, my grandfather had a car on the Milwaukee Road. They lived in Milwaukee, and he transferred yeah. back and forth every day. Yeah. And uh, so, anyway, uh, yeah, a lot of color in the, in the family, a lot of great stories. That's great. That was a great story. Thank you for bringing it up. And thank you for your time and, uh, and inviting me. I, I uh, enjoy kicking the can around. Yeah, we, we want to share some of our yeah. learnings from our conversation, and, and I, I really appreciate your time. Paul, what, what were some of the takeaways that you had from Tim? You know, first of all, I really, we, we, we touched on was, number one is, you know, persistence, 
you're a persistent guy, building those relationships, and at the end of the day, giving back. It's really important, those three things, and I think that is a lot about what we're about. And, uh, Monty, what, what was your... You know, I, I got a whole page here because I, yeah, I, I captured right. so many things. You know, I, I love let people do their thing and find your passion. And just as you, you said, you got to find what you love, learn, and go deep into it. I, I was similar. I, I didn't do well in school until I found my passion. And that, right. that, was, that was the critical thing. I loved your, uh, you know, our, our topic today was playing the long game. Yes. And you talked early on as one of the places you worked, they, they had a 50-year plan. And that was an amazing concept of we do need to live the long game and play mm -hmm. that long game because right. when where you closed was because we can lose it all overnight. Mm -hmm. You know, telling your family stories one day, they're they're influencing the whole world, and the next day they lost it all. Yeah. It is, and so you have that fifty year plan. Yeah. And, and if you don't follow through on the plan, you can lose it all overnight. Right. And I, I found that very interesting. But seeing that whole story, and I really appreciate, uh, you know, a lot of your comments. And I, I want to reinforce this as well. It is about connecting with others. Yeah. And, and that's, that's how we got to this table is, is relationships, how we got to conversations. It's about connecting. And I think that's something the world needs to uh, put some re-emphasis on because Absolutely. The, the connecting has decreased in the last two years since COVID. Oh yeah. So, and it was disconnecting before that with, yes. uh, you know, the people, I, I can remember going into a bar with my son and he invited me down and uh, I was running a little public trading company up in Ames at the time. And uh, he said, stop on uh, 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 this hole in the wall bar that he's like, all my old high school buddies are going to be down there. And I walked in there and, and this is really, the, they had a ball game on the TV and my son was there and the whole bar was loaded with his old buddies. And they're all like this. Yeah. Not one of them talking to one another. Absolutely. I said, why do you even show up, Brian? <laughs> 50 cent cold beers. I said, okay, that makes <laughs> yeah. sense. That makes sense. And they had paps, by the way. Uh, you know, yeah. Tim, one last question that we, we ask every one of our guests sure. is, what do you want to be known for? You know, as, as you have experienced so many things in your life, uh, you've got family. What do you want to be remembered for? What do you want to be known for? Um, a friend of Dr. Deming's. <laughs> uh, I understand he's going to be a guest here. Yeah, he's going to be a guest. Um, a person that is uh, compassionate, um, empathetical, caring and wanting to help others, and ultimately finding joy in everything that is around him. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And, and I'd, I'd say family is a big part of that as well. Yeah. Awesome. You're known for joy, Tim. Yeah. That's great. Tim, thank, thank you so you. much for being thank on the you. show. I appreciate you. you inviting me. Thank you so much. Really thank enjoyed you. the conversation. Same here. It's been great. Thank you. thank you for listening to What's Your Ceiling? We hope this episode has helped you transform the way you think, understand your awareness, has given you new ideas, and has provided you a new perspective on how to push through your ceiling. Please take in a second to give us a thumbs up. Each review helps us impact more people just like you making a difference in this world. See you next week on What's Your Ceiling?